two chapter two of henrietta temple this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. henrietta temple by benjamin disraeli book two chapter two in which captain armine achieves with rapidity a result which always requires great deliberation it so happened that the regiment in which captain armine had the honour of commanding a company was at this time under orders of immediate recall to england and within a month of his receipt of the fatal intelligence of his being as he styled it disinherited he was on his way to his native land this speedy departure was fortunate because it permitted him to retire before the death of lord grandison became generally known and consequently commented upon and inquired into previous to quitting the garrison ferdinand had settled his affairs for the time without the slightest difficulty as he was still able to raise any money that he required on arriving at falmouth ferdinand learned that his father and mother were at bath on a visit to his maiden aunt miss grandison with whom his cousin now resided as the regiment was quartered at exeter he was enabled in a very few days to obtain leave of absence and join them in the first rapture of meeting all disappointment was forgotten and in the course of a day or two when this sentiment had somewhat subsided ferdinand perceived that the shock which his parents must have necessarily experienced was already considerably softened by the prospect in which they secretly indulged and which various circumstances combined in inducing them to believe was by no means a visionary one his cousin catherine was about his own age mild elegant and pretty being fair she looked extremely well in her deep mourning she was not remarkable for the liveliness of her mind yet not devoid of observation although easily influenced by those whom she loved and with whom she lived her maiden aunt evidently exercised a powerful control over her conduct and opinions and lady armine was a favourite sister of this maiden aunt without therefore apparently directing her will there was no lack of effort from this quarter to predispose catherine in favour of her cousin she heard so much of her cousin ferdinand of his beauty and his goodness and his accomplishments that she had looked forward to his arrival with feelings of no ordinary interest and indeed if the opinions and sentiments of those with whom she lived could influence there was no need of any artifice to predispose her in favour of her cousin sir radcliffe and lady armine were wrapped up in their son they seemed scarcely to have another idea feeling or thought in the world but his existence and his felicity and although their good sense had ever preserved them from the silly habit of uttering his panegyric in his presence they amply compensated for this painful restraint when he was away then he was ever the handsomest the cleverest the most accomplished and the most kind-hearted and virtuous of his sex fortunate the parents blessed with such a son thrice fortunate the wife blessed with such a husband it was therefore with no ordinary emotion that catherine grandison heard that this perfect cousin ferdinand had at length arrived she had seen little of him even in his boyish days and even then he was rather a hero in their lilliputian circle ferdinand armine 
was always looked up to at Grandison, and always spoken of by her grandfather as a very fine fellow indeed, a wonderfully fine fellow, his favourite grandson, Ferdinand Armine, and now he had arrived. His knock was heard at the door, his step was on the stairs, the door opened, and certainly his first appearance did not disappoint his cousin Kate. So handsome, so easy, so gentle, and so cordial, they were all the best of friends in a moment. Then he embraced his father with such fervour, and kissed his mother with such fondness, it was evident that he had an excellent heart. His arrival, indeed, was a revolution. Their morning days seemed at once to disappear, and, although they of course entered society very little, and never frequented any public amusement, it seemed to Catherine that all of a sudden she lived in a round of delightful gaiety. Ferdinand was so amusing and so accomplished. He sang with her, he played with her, he was always projecting long summer rides and long summer walks. Then his conversation was so different from everything to which she had ever listened. He had seen so many things and so many persons, everything that was strange, and everybody that was famous. His opinions were so original, his illustrations so apt and lively, his anecdotes so inexhaustible and sparkling. Poor inexperienced, innocent Catherine, her cousin, in four-and-twenty hours, found it quite impossible to fall in love with her, and so he determined to make her fall in love with him. He quite succeeded. She adored him. She did not believe that there was anyone in the world so handsome, so good, and so clever. No one, indeed, who knew Ferdinand Armine, could deny that he was a rare being. But, had there been any acute and unprejudiced observers who had known him in his younger and happier hours, they would perhaps have remarked some difference in his character and conduct, and not a favourable one. He was, indeed, more brilliant, but not quite so interesting as in old days, far more dazzling, but not quite so apt to charm. No one could deny his lively talents and his perfect breeding, but there was a restlessness about him, an excited and exaggerated style, which might have made some suspect that his demeanour was an effort, and that under a superficial glitter, by which so many are deceived, there was no little deficiency of the genuine and sincere. Catherine Grandison, however, was not one of those profound observers. She was easily captivated. Ferdinand, who really did not feel sufficient emotion to venture upon a scene, made his proposals to her when they were riding in a green lane, the sun just setting, and the evening star glittering through a vista. The lady blushed, and wept, and sobbed, and hid her fair and streaming face, but the result was as satisfactory as our hero could desire. The young equestrians kept their friends in the crescent at least two hours for dinner, and then had no appetite for the repast when they had arrived. Nevertheless, the maiden aunt, although a very particular personage, made this day no complaint, and was evidently far from being dissatisfied with anybody or anything. As for Ferdinand, he called for a tumbler of champagne, and secretly drank his own health, as the luckiest fellow of his acquaintance, with a pretty, amiable, and high-bred wife, with all his debts paid, and the house of Armine restored. End of Book Two, Chapter Two